Okay. So Greg Bartos is online. We are live Hello, for real this time. With uh, lesson 39 of What About Me? Men of Torah. So before we jump into Acts chapter 20, um, just to put you on the spot, Scott, you said something to me uh, on Shabbat that has resonated. And I, and I have my own answer, but I was curious about you. As you said uh, in one of our conversations that um, you would never read Romans the same way anymore. And I presume based on our, our, uh, our, our review there. So why is that? What, what is it that was different this time that, that you saw? The, it's just the, the manner in which we're reading it, you know, thinking about it from a halachic Jewish perspective. Right. And, and the, the ability now, the sensitivity, the greater sensitivity to spot those things and to see those things and understand yeah. things that, um, that we've traditionally been taught in the church and understanding them from the perspective in which they were actually written. Right. And sometimes and it's 180 audience, degrees out from what we've been raised to believe. Yeah, most definitely. Even though we were, we've all along been taught to uh, to read the literal words on the page and understand what's literally being said. Right. You still can't do that unless you're putting it in its historical Jewish context. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And that's what's made a difference for me this time through. Um, it's just, like I said, I can't read it the same way anymore. Yeah. It's just so That's great. Other comments, same, same kind of thing for you guys? Um, it, to me, it's, it's, it's like new perspective is, is, uh, is a great way of putting it, but it, it's, it falls flat for me. It's, it's like I'm seeing it almost for the first time as like a, a different letter. You know, I've, I've read, I read Paul's letter to the Romans, and I can break it down, but now I'm seeing... His, even his asides, as he says, oh, you know how I was there, and, and I taught you the traditions, and, and you've been faithful to follow those, and it, it's, it's an amazing thing. Mm -hmm. I, I love it. That's, uh, that's good. All right, so uh, it looks like we've got Brock and Gregory online with us this evening, so uh, Open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 20, verse 4. And as has become our custom over the past couple of weeks, we'll go ahead and read a few uh, paragraphs together so that we can uh, get the context before we, uh, before we start our conversation. You want to kick us off with the first chapter there, Jonathan? Yeah. Starting with verse 7? I think we're starting with verse 4. 4. four. Let's go up and find you can you can start at the beginning. Okay. After the four died down, Shaul sent for the Talmudim and encouraged them, then took his leave and set out on his way to Macedonia. He went through that area and after saying much to encourage them, passed on to Greece, where he spent three months. As he was preparing to set sail for Syria, he discovered a plot against him by the unbelieving Jews. So he changed his mind and decided to return by way of Macedonia. Sophiter from Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, as did Aristarchus and 
Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy and Tychius and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on and waited for us in Troas, while we sailed from Philippi after the days of Matza. Five days later, we met them in Troas, where we spent a week. All right, that's good. So, if you you've got the context there, we've got a bunch of guys, and they sailed from Philippi. So, I was uh, going to remind you of. Oops, not of the table that we had written the map on, if you'll recall that, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, where is he starting? Where was this Ephor starting? Where was he when he was writing the Book of Romans? Therefore, months. Yeah, where that was. Right? Yeah. He's, he's in Greece, right? He's probably in Corinth again. And he's now heading back to Jerusalem. But you can't get there this way without spending an inordinate amount of time on the water. Mm -hmm. So he went up the land, the peninsula of Greece, to Macedonia, which is where Philippi is. Mm -hmm. And then uh, they sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread or matzah. In five days they came to Troas where they stayed for seven days. I don't have Troas Oh, on Troas. Was that Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So they're up in that corner and they came across the Aegean Sea. Um, so they stayed there for a week. So the next passage, which uh, one of you guys can read for us, is amazingly misunderstood normally in the church. In the in, in their, uh, their normal interpretation. So uh, what we'll do is read through it and then see if we can um, remind us of what's normally taught there. And then we'll, uh, we'll look at what, what makes sense in the context and, and where it was brought up. Anybody else want to read? Who wants to read? Go ahead, please, Joshua. Thank you very much. To where? Uh, take 7 to... Um, Through 12? Yeah, why don't you take 7 to 12, yeah. On the first day of the week, when we, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep, as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third-story window and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. When Paul had gone and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them for a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. All right. So uh, we pick up in verse 7. First day of the week. What day on our calendar is the first day of the week? Sunday. 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 Good. Paul was talking with them. If you're in the church, and you happen to be sitting in church on Sunday morning, and Paul is talking with them, intending to leave the next day and prolongs his speech until midnight. How long did Paul preach? 
We started at 11 a.m. because that's when church starts. That's when church starts, <laughs> right? That's, that's exactly right. Sermon. And they, they gathered cool. to break bread, which must have been right after the sermon, normally 12, right. 1230, uh, when you uh, get to Shoney's. I guess the Chinese food was closed. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And then uh, he prolonged his speech until midnight. I've actually heard a pastor, you know, basically say, a youth pastor basically say, you think you guys can't pay attention for a sermon? These people are listening for 12 hours. 12 hours. Hours on That's end. right, 12 hours. It's a whole day. So let's, let's break this apart now, uh, <laughs> contextually, from culture, and, uh, and First, see what we've got. I just want to quickly throw in um, bonus points for those of us who keep the seventh day of the week on Saturday. Um, the, there has been some who argue that we don't know when the seventh day really is. Right. You know, when the Jews say it's Saturday, but how do they know? You know, the Bible isn't clarified. Of course, the Bible's using the numbers, not the... The day. Pagan days, right. um, and this Thor's day, right? Odin's day. I would say that this is a, probably one of the most definitive arguments for Saturday being seventh day, simply because all of Christianity recognizes the first day as being Sunday. Not just Christianity, but in almost every calendar around the planet, there's only one or two out of all of them that do not start on Sunday, and it's just a recent phenomenon over the past couple of years where some of the computer-based stuff is allowing you to say, okay, since you start work on Monday, we'll give you Monday through Friday, and then Saturday and Sunday will be like half-width because they're not work days. What a weird and sick way to do it. But anyway. And in their you know, culture here, what a weird instance that would be for their first day of the work week, yeah. him to be preaching all day long. Yeah. But... Mm. <clears throat> Well, I'll let somebody else answer, and then I will give an anecdote to show you what this looks like today. Okay. So, on the first day of the week, which is what day? Sunday. Okay. We gathered to break bread. When did, traditionally, after the split, after the Gentiles were no longer allowed into most of the synagogues, when did the Jews and the Gentiles that believed in Messiah Yeshua historically get together. Havdalah. Now, Havdalah. Now, what is, what is Havdalah? The Hebrew word means? Separation. Separation. Yeah. And we're separating the holy, holy from the secular day or the common days. So when does the first day of the week begin? At Havdalah. At sundown, right? Mm -hmm. Following oh. the, uh, the Genesis account, there was evening and there was morning. Mm -hmm. So when did Sunday begin? When the Sabbath ended at sundown on Saturday night. And they gathered together to break bread together, as Acts chapter 2 says was everyone's habit, breaking bread, going through the apostles' teaching. They're going to get a mouthful right here. And, yeah. Um, so... So reading it in that, in that fashion, on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, we gather to break bread. It's Havdalah, so it's just after sundown, or let's say it's just after dinner, or right around dinner time, but they're gathering to break bread. Paul was talking with them, intending to leave the next day. When's he going to leave? Monday morning. No. Sunday. Sunday, the next day. Ah. Right? So, daytime. Okay, 
So he prolonged his speech till midnight. I personally have done that, much to some people's chagrin. But it's evening, it's after Havdalah, let's say it's 8 o'clock at night. For us to sit around talking until midnight has actually happened here. We had a, a rabbi here uh, who was taken by the fact that we, we refused to talk about Messiah, his identity and all of that. And I'm pretty sure we talked till 1 in the morning, didn't we? I think I did cut out before that, that, that late. Wimp. <sighs> no. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think I think there was uh, obviously I couldn't leave. <laughs> sort, of a, sort of a captive audience, but I'm pretty sure it was one or one thirty in the morning, and there were still five six guys here. I, I don't I don't say arguing meaning um, uh, angrily, but Discuss. you know Discuss. discussing Discuss. and yeah. going back and forth Intense. in a true argument fashion about. Uh, about various topics from the scripture, and some of it was extraordinary. Um, so, certainly can happen. Um, if I can just jump in. Yeah, please. So the the timing is is the break bread, get together, have an event, so to speak, is so Jewish. Today, if you're in Jerusalem, Shabbat ends. Even in the summertime, when Shabbat ends at like nine o'clock, nine thirty, restaurants will open afterwards. Ben Yehuda Street. So you go out up. to the center of town, and it's busy. People are out having dinner. I mean, the restaurants are packed at like mm-hmm. 9, 30 or 10. Mm-hmm. This part of the country, they're all closing at that time, That's even right. on a Saturday night. That's exactly but right. in, in Israel, um, even though Sunday is a work day, Saturday night is kind of a party time. It's a time to celebrate the fact that we're back to work, we're back yep. doing things, and yep. business is back. So it's, it would make a lot of contextual sense for the community to get together at that point and hang out and eat together and whatnot, especially if in Judaism, other tradition, is that um, I believe the last meal of Shabbat is actually a late afternoon meal. Mm-hmm. So by the time the late, the early, late evening rolls around, at Havdalah time, you're kind of ready to eat again, even yeah. though it would be kind of a weirdly late dinner for us, it would again fit the culture. True. So it's basically like New Year's Day, but on a smaller scale with the community. I mean, because people stay up late for New Year's Day, right? Well, I mean, they stay up late until midnight. And we, these, we do this and, every week. Yeah, and these stores open up right after Havdalah. So I'm, I'm just thinking of all those people, it's kind of, it would be kind of like a New Year's Day, but on a smaller scale that they stay up late, eat, and celebrate. That's, yeah. It's, an, it's, a strange, it's strange, but it's just, I just saw that at the moment. And we can forgive for you because you're falling asleep. Yeah, God bless him, right? Sinking into a deep sleep, the lamps are on, it's getting warm, he's hearing this guy drone on. This is like Micah, you know. <laughs> Alright, so he falls from the third story balcony, he's picked up dead. Do you think he was really dead? Mm, yeah. 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 Okay. So Paul falls, uh, goes, well, goes down falls on him, throws his arms around him, and says, don't be upset for his life is within him. What does that remind you of? Is it Elijah? Uh, you know, Elijah and the uh, the widow, was it Nain? You know Nain's? No, that was Yeshua. Um, the, uh, the woman from Samaria? The Syrophoenician woman? The Shunammite woman. Yeah, that's what it was. The Shunammite woman. She was all upset. Don't give me a child because he's going to die. You know, this is a bad thing. I don't, you know, don't give me anything you're going to take away. You know, and then she gets all upset with him. But you bet. So Elijah throws himself on top of the kid, you know, eyeball to eyeball, 
finger to finger and so forth. So, um, so it, it, that reminded me of that. Um, Which actually, I think, is similar. Doesn't doesn't Elijah when he's coming say something like, "Yeah, don't sweat it. He's alive." Yeah, something that yeah. effect. Well, I think I'm also reminded of uh, the master when he goes into uh, is it Tabitha's? Yeah, the, the girl. The room. Yeah. Right. You know, don't <clears throat> stop stop mourning and crying. Because she's alive and they laugh at him. You know, his life is still within her kind of thing. So, um, so after he went back up, he's going to talk some more, broke bread and ate. He talked with them a long while until daybreak and then left. Now that was actually a long conversation. You're darn right. You bet. So they took the boy away alive, greatly relieved. And I think I, I gave you some stuff in the um, study guide about this because um, there's, there's some... There's some odd stuff going on here. Um, he's called the youth and then called the young man. Naonius is a young man, and that's the same word that was used to describe Saul um, when they laid, the feet, uh, laid at his feet the, the clothing and uh, coats and whatnot of the folks that stoned Stephen. Um, but I thought this kid was like five or six. <coughs> you know, so just a little lad. Um, but Perhaps he's mid-twenties. Um, but the, the story closes, and they took the youth away. In, in this version, in my lap, it says boy, but in the uh, English standard, it's youth. Two different words. That's the place. Yes, sir. Could they mean by youth that he was under bar mitzvah? As in, under bar mitzvah, he's not, he's not considered a man. That's a point. I don't think so because Saul that that would indicate that Saul was that same age as well. Um, but that's I mean that's exactly what you need to do, Josiah, is think outside the box along those lines. It could be. Maybe maybe Saul was not Bar Mitzvah age at the point where they were laying their feet, their their garments at his feet, but he seems to have some even at that point. So if he was uh, only 12 or something, that wouldn't make a lot of sense. So, um, don't know. Yes, sir? I don't think a good mom would let their five-year-old sit in the window <laughs> with that kind of a fall. Yeah, good that point. Nice, yeah. nice breeze yeah. can make you doze on. But it could have been a crowded room, so maybe mm-hmm. people are up against the walls and somebody just went ahead and sat on the ledge yeah. and fell asleep. In the window. I'd want to sit in the window. That's where you're going to get the... The best airflow. So you suggested that the word could also be translated servant, yeah. the, the youth word. Yeah, exactly. Which had me wondering if maybe we're talking about someone who's um, like student. Exactly. So like no, that would also work for Saul. Paul, Saul, right? Because he's not he's not ordained or anything yet, so he's a he's a young man. And he was sitting at the feet of Gamaliel. Right. So he's still studying and whatnot. And then later on, and they took the youth. It could, if they were translating it more like student, mm-hmm. that would kind of fit. So this, this is one of the young guys in the community who hasn't who hasn't quite um, graduated, if you want to call it that, from right. his religious studies. Quite frankly, would explain why he's sitting through all this time. He wants to hear. He just fell asleep because he's right. not there yet. <laughs> also makes sense that Paul, being the youth. Is all they're all putting their coats next to him, saying you're not really involved in this because you, you can watch the coats. Right, mm-hmm. right. It was the men that were studying Stephen and so forth. Cool. Yeah, I think servant's probably the best translation there, and we see that um, other places in the uh, apostolic scriptures. Um, 
the the word for uh, uh, Paul uses, uh, you know, when you're a youth, uh, and you're a Pideon, and you you need, you know, your this this guy is going to come alongside you and, and kind of help raise you and teach you and all that. That's the same root word here. So, good, good, good. So, um, I was kind of going through the map thing with Alex before you all got here, and we talked about how this. This curve of Asia, the land there uh, across the Aegean Sea, Ephesus is the big corner spot there. That's the that's the uh, the coastal city there that's most famous and of course most corrupt. Um, he chose not to stop at Ephesus, but went a little bit beyond it, and is further down on the coast to the point where the the folks in Ephesus are actually going to walk. To come see him on the beach at the next one. So let's let's keep um, keep reading. So uh, who wants to read next? Thirteen to uh, sixteen. Anyway, Mike, go ahead, son. We going ahead to the ship. Set sail for Essos, intending from there to take Paul on board. For so he had arranged it, intending himself to go by land. But when he met us, and when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Mitili. Sailing from there, we arrived the following day opposite Chaos, and the next day we crossed over to Samos, and the day following we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Nice. So we have two definite time references. You already had the one. They set sail from Philippi after Unleaded Red was over. When is Shavuot? 50 days later, right? So he's got 50 days to get from over there in that corner across the Aegean Sea and then sail over and get over here and get to Jerusalem for that holiday. Why, really? You need a good customer. 28 days left at this point. Okay, so you counted the week they spent and so forth. Good. I think it's really kind of emphasizes to us that we just. Do not know what it's like to be traveling in those days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine? Like, you need to get from Greece to Israel, and you have fifty days to get it. Right. And you're hoofing it to try to get there in yeah. time. Yeah. And I mean, sh- should I take the land? Should I take the sea? You know, the cost and all of that. We're That's trying to figure GPS, out. Uh, you know. Yeah. I mean, you could so, nowadays you could take a boat or a plane yeah. and be there in hours. That's right. So it's exactly. It really is really something. So. So again, I want you to picture the map, right? So, the the curve of the of the Asian land is right there at Ephesus. Uh, you know, the furthest peak out, the island that's sticking out from Ephesus, that's about a mile offshore. That's the island of Patmos. So that should remind you that if you look through from Patmos through Ephesus, you see the other six cities that John wrote to when he was exiled on Patmos. But if you go beyond Ephesus, down further down the coast, not very far, you get to Miletus. So let's read about what happens here uh, in Miletus. Who wants to read now? 
we're going to go from 7 to uh, 21. 17 21. From Miletus, he sent to he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving not an eye, with all humility, and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. However, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you pub publicly from house to house, solemnly testifying both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards from God and faith in our Lord Yeshua Christ. Good. So, I, I think it's interesting. Uh, we've actually done this with uh, family, um, where you, you just don't want to stop at Grandma's house. Because you know it's going to take hours and hours and hours to get out of there. But, you know, you sail, or, you know, you drive past and, and you go to your cousin's house and your grandma can come and visit while you're there and the whole stop is not going to take quite as long. That's exactly what he did, right? So he sails past Ephesus to Miletus and calls for the elders of the community in Ephesus and asks them to come down and chat with him a little bit right there on the beach. And they walked. There's, there's no motor vehicles here. So he's, he's waiting on them. They walked down. It couldn't have been that far. And, uh, and that's what we've got. So everybody following along? We good? Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Have we established what Paul's commission was at this point? Um, I don't know if I'm... I usually often hear that Shaul was an emissary to the Gentiles. He said so at least twice so far okay. to, to different communities. Okay. Pro primary to the Gentiles and then Absolutely. secondary to the Yehudim? Because from here it sounds like he's saying to witnessing to Yehudim and also to the Greeks. And you know, it goes back to Yeshua's um, commission to everyone was first to the Yehudim mm -hmm. and then to the Well, it's, it's been his nation as we've been going through. Now, he always starts when he walks into a town as he was going across this whole thing. And, uh, it was always his practice to go to the to the synagogue, if there was one, or to the place of prayer for the Jews first. Mm -hmm. And, and they were receptive. So it was a secondary offset. What happened, his primary focus was always Yahoo, the Yahudim, but because they were not receptive, he... He, he understands has, and wrote later on that salvation was to the Jews first. Mm -hmm. And he's consistent with that. So can we accurately classify him as primarily a focus on the... Goyim or the Gentiles? He did, okay. more than once. He was the the uh, apostle to the to the Goyim, no question. Only because of effectiveness? Is that no, he, or, he felt or, that he was called to do that. Okay. You know, that, Fair that, that the Master had commissioned him specifically to do that. Um, and I think that's, you know, you bring up a good point because as we read this next part, I don't think I would have done what he did. As we're going to see here, everybody he's talking to is trying to convince him not to go back to Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. he, he almost gets upset. It's like, are you nuts? That's, this is what I'm called to do. I have to do this. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's because of that very calling that he was convinced. As I think what you and I said before everybody got here, this, this whole thing started in Damascus. For sure. For sure. Cool. 
All right, who's going to read next here? We've got uh, 22, let's go to 22 to 27. Okay. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Yerushalayim. I don't know what will happen to me there. Other than that, in every city, the Ruach HaKodesh keeps warning me that imprisonment and persecution await me. But I consider my own life of no importance to me whatsoever. As long as I can finish the course ahead of me, the task I receive from the Lord Yeshua, to declare in depth the good news of God's love and kindness. Now listen, I know that none of you people among whom I have gone about claiming the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I testify on this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from proclaiming to you the whole plan of God. Okay. I have always felt that uh, verse 26 is an amazing statement. When you consider what the Torah says about the shedding of blood and that your hands are dirty with that, you know, we just finished reading the, the uh, creation story and uh, the whole garden deal and Cain and Abel and Seth and and and, uh, and all of that and uh, was it Lamech Lemuel who's who's Lamech Lamech right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the shedding of blood you know and that stain on your hands is is incredibly important and in Judaism this you know the blood is big and. For him to say, implying that the Torah law about not helping your 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 brother in need and being responsible for his death and so forth and his blood and the blood guilt and you know, all that kind of stuff, as I read that all of those mitzvot and commandments and so forth, for him to testify that he was innocent of the blood of all men. What do you think he meant by that? Um, was it in Ezra, chap- the first chapter, then again, the 33rd chapter, that God specifically commissioned him to go and prophesy, and if he failed to do so, the blood would be on him. Basically, oh, he, used, right. yeah, yeah. he used the euphemism, a soldier sees the enemy coming. Yes and does not sell the shofar, then the blood of the people that got slain mm-hmm. is on him. Mm-hmm. But if he sounds the shofar and the people did not listen, then they are liable. That's their fault. Yeah. Exactly. I think this is the same concept. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's really good. That's they exactly where I was going. Sounds like a direct yeah. reference. Yeah. Oh, cha- chapter yeah. 1 and 33. Yeah. Chapter 1, it starts with that. And 33. Yeah. Chapter 33, it also starts with that. If I say to the wicked, only one, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way. The wicked person shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. Outstanding. That's exactly what I was thinking. And I just I couldn't place where, you know, I'm, I'm piecing all these things together from the Torah. Outstanding. So, are we, I mean, we are, are we in agreement here? Is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sounds like where he's coming from, right? He's he's preaching, <laughs> and uh, certainly to the wicked. I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Wow. I really wish that I could say that. I really wish that there was a point in my life where I could say that uh, I, I've, I've been faithful in that regard. I don't, I don't know that I can. Um, 
much, you know, further than yesterday, day before. It's hard to to not shrink back. It's hard to to be able. I think it's virtually impossible to be able to say, no, not once, not once, did I not, or did I stay silent? I always did. That's what a uh, what a high calling. What a other thing to be able to say. That's it. Uh, a high bar for your your kids and your friends and, and all of that. So, good. Any other comments on that? I'm, maybe it's just me that's taken by that. Um, mm. If you'd like, I can also quote Ezekiel chapter three. He did thirty-three, chapter three, which kind of goes into that same detail. Mm. Um, I'll start with verse uh, 17. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel, and you shall hear words from my mouth, and shall warn them from me. When I say to the wrong, you shall certainly die, and you have not warned him, nor spoken to warn the wrong from his wrong way to save his life. That same wrong man shall die in his crookedness, and his blood I require at your hand. But if you have warned the wrong, and, do, and he does not turn from his wrong, nor from his wrong way, he shall die in his crookedness, and you have delivered your being. And when a righteous one turns from his righteousness and shall do unrighteousness, when I have put a stumbling block before him, he shall die, because you did not warn him. He shall die in his sin, and his righteousness which he has done is not remembered, and the blood I require at your hand. But if you have warned the righteous one, the righteous should not sin, and he did not sin, he shall certainly live because he has been warned, and you have delivered your being. Nice. Yeah, it's uh, yet another example where Paul is uh, living up to his uh, teacher's standard there, knowing the, knowing the scriptures. Mm -hmm. It also makes it clear uh, in his letter to Timothy, which we haven't gotten to yet, as we'll see, he'll, uh, he'll say that all scripture profitable for reproof. And of course, he's not talking about the apostolic scriptures at that point. He's talking about what he's read and learned as a boy. And certainly, uh, we can see here, must have included Ezra. Great. All right, Todd, you going to give me a little bit there, man? You got a Bible? Your Bible is? Yes, I'm looking up some of these things we've been talking about. So. Oh, go ahead. We got uh, looking for 28. Let's see. 28 to... Uh, at 31? I guess you can keep going. Take it to uh, 35. 28 to 35 if you like. Almost there. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the congregation of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. 
I coveted none silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of Yeshua, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Good. You know, why don't you just finish that? Finish the chapter. I mean, while you're there, it sounds so cool. What do we have? Three sentences. Two. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. It was a very emotional meeting. What's your uh, what's your thoughts? This is um, so similar to the end of life comments from Moses and Samuel. Um, good, good. Moses uh, not so much end of life, but he gets um, he has this argument, so to speak, with Korah. Comes up and says, "Yeah, who are you to be able to be king over us and whatever else? Aren't we all holy, etc." Moses makes, uh, I think it's that one. And Moses argues, look, I haven't taken anything from any of you. Like, I, I, you know, I, I have discharged my duties faithfully. Um, actually, maybe actually at the, at the ten spies. Anyway, at one point in there, he does that in the session. So the haftar for that week's portion is coming from Sam, 1 Samuel chapter 8, talking about um, when they go to Samuel and say, we want a king. And, uh, and Samuel's response is, let's see if I can find it. I think it's 8. Um, and his response is to say, uh, you know, I, I didn't, I, I treated you well. You know, the king's going to be tough on you, but, um, but I'm, I've been, I've been fair. I haven't taken anything from you, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, Moses also, at the end of his life, when um, he gets, he is informed by God about future things coming, and he's like, I know that already you guys are stubborn, and as soon as I'm gone, you're going to just plunge into That's disobedience it. and idolatry and. Um, it's really the same the same type of language. <coughs> so um, uh, Paul, it seems to me, Shaul seems to really be getting a um, really good end of life uh, final. This is his last time because he's people. Right, and he's, he's made that clear he's twice. He's delivering a passionate um, speech, not only to encourage them but also to warn them, because he sees what's coming out of the pipe, and quite frankly, he was completely right. I mean, as soon as that generation died, the um, crazies from within and without right. took over the Gentile communities, right. kicked the Jews out, and before you know it, by, by what, like, well, one, one luck of 100, you've already got anti-Semitic leaders of the church. That's right. And, you know, if we're looking at about um, 50 of the common era right now-ish, mm -hmm. um, to your point, by 120, 130, you know, we're already, you know, swirling around in the porcelain, hearing the flushing sounds. Right. All right, so there it is. Good. Um, there's something unique here. Um, don't know if you recognize it. Um, verse 36. What's, uh, what's, what's verse 36 say? He kneeled down. He kneeled down to do what? Pray. Okay. 
Is that a common posture for Jews when they pray? Daniel did. Daniel did. Okay. Is that the common posture for Jews when they pray? Mm -hmm. What do we call the most famous prayer? The standing prayer. The standing, standing prayer. prayer. If we're not standing, what are we doing? Sitting. Sitting. Oh. Besides Daniel, who knelt to pray? Yeshua. Yeshua did in the garden. Mm -hmm. Who else knelt to pray? We are in the apostolic scriptures. Got anybody from the Torah? <laughs> Tanakh? Did Elisha kneel whenever he was going against the prophets so. of Baal? Okay. Did Isaiah? I don't think so. Job? No. King Solomon. Most likely David. Oh, yeah. I was thinking of King and I couldn't get my tongue on King Solomon is mentioned in both 1 Kings Second Samuel. and 2 Samuel. Yeah. Um, not 2 Chronicles. Okay. Um, we're doing so. Uh, everyone else, I mean, it's camels that are kneeling to drink. It's the guys at the at the thing. Um, but Psalms, in, you know, you know, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Um, but it's more of an homage thing. It's not a, a prayer thing. Um, we've got several people that kneel before the Master and ask for His help. My daughter's dying. I've got leprosy. You can help me, uh, or they mock him. Some of the soldiers kneel down in front of him and mock him. Um, the only other person that I'm aware of in the Word of God who kneels down to pray is Peter. When he raises Tabitha from the dead, he went in with the room with the parents, the wall outside, and knelt down and said, Tabitha, arise. What did she opened her eyes and she stood up. Maybe he did that because the person's in a bed? Could be. Just being close. Could be. The only other time that we read of people kneeling to pray are two more times. One you just read, and in a few more verses we read the other time that Paul knelt to pray with these uh, elders or friends or whatnot. But and kind of the opposite of that, Yeshua did also warn about the Pharisees who had long philanthropies and exposing Jesus then stood up and prayed out loud to be a form of show, mm -hmm. he kind of condemned that too. He did. And I don't that know prayer yeah. should be a more of an inner seeking between you and the no, Father. I, right? I, don't, I, won't, I don't know whether I would tie any, uh, prayer into it. Um, the public show, for sure. Um, but to pray standing... Well, there was dealing with the, prayer because when you pray, go to a closet, be hidden. It's kind of this concept of... Sure, but not as regular. Not as regular practice because he prayed with everybody else. Oh, and certainly. I'm not condemning the regular practice. I'm saying that I guess this form of kneeling, humility is the same concept of which it is depending on if the situation arises to do so, that yeah, it's I, I don't think appropriate. He, I don't think he was promoting kneeling, nor do I think that we have examples of kneeling other than the ones I gave you. I mean, there's a dramatic amount of prayer that goes on, and yet this is, I mean, I just went through everybody in the Bible, you've got like four the whole Bible. We even show Moses doing it. Um, but to your point, the, the whole public display thing was a big thing he was against. And the publican, who was praying right next to the Pharisee, was also standing. It's just that he had his head back. So, yes? The kneeling references you brought up, the thing, the one, the one commonality that seems to be there to me is there's a lot of intensity, mm. a lot of passion. You know what you're talking about? Maybe Solomon not your normal daily kneeling. Prayer. 
for the the commemoration of the, the, the excuse temple. me the, the uh, inauguration mm-hmm. of the temple. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Daniel who's in like a life and death situation, kneeling to pray. That was his regular habit. Now, we well, don't know if it was his regular habit to kneel to pray. Right. But he definitely was praying up in the window. Right, right, right. But it, we may have yeah. I'm not certain about that. But either way, Daniel um, Daniel is in a um, kind of an ongoing crisis mode. Mm-hmm. He's in exile, mm-hmm. so. There is, and he's not praying with the community in that case. Correct. So that there is, there is something else there too. So it almost kind of feels like um, we don't see Paul doing this other places, right? Uh, prior to this experience, mm-hmm. and it almost, but he does it twice here. In his yeah. Well, even to your point, I mean, this is a, this is an emotional beneath yeah. spend time, the inspiration. Um, right. Exactly. Yeah. And and just going back to what I was saying earlier, so it's First Samuel twelve, by the way, where Samuel delivers basically almost. I mean, you you could re- can read this in Saul's words side by side. It looked remarkably similar. He says, whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Who am I defrauded? And then he proceeds to go on and say, here's all the things that the children of Israel have done been sin in the past, and you've sinned again because you asked for a king and all that stuff. Um, and he says, and then he closes out by saying, you know, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. So he, this is his retirement address as, the, as he's wrapping up his prof, prophet stage. The irony here that I think is really funny it might be why Saul was familiar with this as he delivered his own farewell address, right. is that Samuel is giving way to Saul, <laughs> who's the new king of Israel. Yeah, good point. Nice. Nice, yeah, we always read him as Paul, but forget that. Good. You have a comment, Josiah? All right, take your point, Josiah. Yes, sir. Um, what do you do when you come before a king? Bow. Bow. Jimmy Flight. Uh, kneel. And kneel. Yes. You bet. And... So when you kneel, when you pray, it's as if you're kneeling before God, oh, sure. who is king, yeah. which is just something really cool that I wanted to point out. Yeah. I, I'm reminded of, uh, is it the Catholic Church or is it the Episcopalian Church? Where they get the little kneeler Ubers that mm-hmm. fold Both Catholic. Well, both, yeah. Both of them, yeah. yeah. And some denominations are Protestant, probably. Really? So I've not seen any Protestant ones, but the, you know, these other ones, I mean, it's, it's like, we're gonna kneel. I think that's cool. So yeah, good. Okie doke. If uh, Paul is creating a new religion, wouldn't he create a new way to pray? Nice, nice troublemaker. Good. One of them. Good. Um, <laughs> Psalm ninety-five six. Come, let us bow down, worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord our God, Maker. I just quoted that. As you, so, in that concept. Yeah. The kneeling, um, in the temple. Uh, there's a tradition that says that the, in the supernatural time and space continuum, um, the way that God can do it. In the temple space, there's enough room for everyone to right. stand yeah. and then everyone to go prostrate, face right. down. Right. Uh, when the name of God was, was, was named, I think during the, the Shema or something like that, I remember the, the, the priestly... The Aaronic Blessing. Uh, Aaronic Blessing. Um, so there is place in Judaism for kneeling or bowing um, but it does seem to be almost like an elevated form of prayer posture. It's not your standard. Um, it's something you do at a special time. Sure. Yeah, that's good. And and this is a special time. They're they're grieving. They're all sad. They're crying. You know, they're weeping, falling upon his neck. It's just uh, it's really something here. All right. Let's uh, let's finish out uh, some more here in twenty one. You get the same kind of thing going on. He's just going to do it in another another town. Josh, you want to read a little bit? Oh, sure. Give me two. Uh, Six. 
Yes, sir. Actually, four. Okay. And we had yeah. harpoons. So when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we sent aboard. We went aboard and set sail. When we had cut us out of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. There the ship was to load its cargo. And having sailed the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. Unbelievable. So, uh, hopscotching across the uh, Middle East here. And uh, so, if they're telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem, I mean, is that hubris? Is it disobedience? Or is it their personal concern and their interpretation having been shown what is going to happen? They don't want him to be hurt. But he seems to be clued in as to what he's got to do. But we, does, that, does that make sense? So it may not be the case that if someone says, you know, the Lord has shown me this is going to happen, therefore don't do this. Don't go. Yeah. Don't go. That, that may not be the message. Right. So, yes, sir. I think that he is... Definitely. He, Paul? Yes. Yes, sir. That he is definitely keeping true that I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God, not shrinking away from any challenge or anything like that. And also. So this would fit right in with that? Yes. Even though he's told, this is, this is going to be bad for you, man. Real bad for you. He's going to do it anyway because he's not shrinking away. Yes. I like it. Yeah. But he's also got, he's got some other additional motive. Because we actually read at the very beginning of the previous <coughs> chapter, he avoids an area because he knows there's a plot going on. Mm -hmm. We saw at the beginning of Acts, or at the middle of Acts, I guess, really, um, oh, that he escaped out of Damascus. The wall, yeah. Think, yeah. So he, I think that, that uh, Josiah is correct, that he's, it's not his personality to run away from a fight. Right. Um, but at the same time... <coughs> he's um, picking this fight. Yes, which is unusual for him. In yeah. fact, in almost all the other cases, whenever he experienced a lot of, of opposition... He would leave. Yeah. So he's either got, um, he's either extremely motivated to get Jerusalem for Pentecost, for Shavuot, um, which is intriguing, only because it yep. is one of the three pilgrimage festivals. Right. There's a mitzvah there. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, so is Pesach, and he wasn't there for that one. So it doesn't have to be. I mean, there's, there's a lot allowance for that. But sure. my point is that like he's making a real effort to get there, and it almost feels like he, he has a sense that this is important. I agree. We don't know yet, as we're following along, what that may be. Um, for those of you who have read the back of the book and know how it ends, you know, uh, don't spoil it for the rest of us. We're here on the first time. Um, yeah, I, I agree, Joshua. He seems to... Uh, I'm reminded of the Master. Mm -hmm. isn't, it the, isn't it the same kind of thing? Right? They're, he knows. He's been told. You know, they're waiting for you. They're, they're waiting to see if you're going to come up to the festival. Mm -hmm. they're, they're out to get you. Don't don't go to Jerusalem, and actually, then I think Peter says, you know, he's, he he tells him what's going to happen. Peter says, you know, you need we need to make sure this doesn't happen. You know, get behind me, Satan. So he's uh, he's he's pressed 
and convinced he needs to go to Jerusalem. And in fact, Scripture says he set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. He would not be deterred. Yes, sir? This is the perfect example of the phrase, he turned neither to the right nor the left. Good. Yeah. Just knows where he's got to go, and he's, and he's going to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Miles, uh, I think this is an odd thing here. So you just gave the example of Yeshua, which I think is a great comparison. Yeshua does that at Pesach, which is the first of the pilgrimage festivals. Mm-hmm. Paul then does it at Shavuot, which is the second of the pilgrimage festivals. Makes you wonder who's listening to this Sukkot, which is the third one. Um, oh, we haven't finished the book yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe. No. I don't know. It's right. an interesting question, right? It's just kind of weird the way that that plays out. Also, one other thing you notice here, um, uh, the reference to wives and children, to me, uh, probably should remind you again of Deuteronomy, where it talks about all of you standing here. Yeah. Um, it's a family affair type deal. But it also is a company until we went outside the city. As we learned this past um, Torah portion, right. uh, or actually the current one we're written, really, mm-hmm. uh, with Abraham, his custom was to walk with his visitors um, to the highway to, uh, to make sure that they had you know, gotten safely on their way, so to yep, speak. Yep. So this is a very Jewish custom exactly. for these people to... I mean, they wanted to see Paul. They didn't want to tell him goodbye. You know, it's like walking to the, you know, the gate of the airplane back before 9-11. Um, and so on and so forth. Those of you who are too young for that have no idea what I'm talking about. But um, but in this case, I think there's also that this is a custom um, in that in in the faith really to make sure that those who, who stay with you are taken care of. And and you'll see repeatedly throughout the portion we had us read this week. Um, we stayed with so and so. We stayed with this person. They recommended we stay with this person. Right. And it's like that sense of hospitality. Um, it, it's not just a matter of convenience or this guy has the, you know, I mean, he, he, this is how it works this in our faith. Culture. This is who this we do. Is this is what we do. That's, that's right. That's exactly right. If we you've got somebody in the faith visiting your town, they should only have to stay in a hotel because they want to. That's right. That's exactly right. And, and we've seen that here where, you know, people are, there's people coming in from somewhere and they, they just get put up, mm-hmm. you know, they, they're, they're cared for. All right, so we've got our last little boat trip. When we finished the trip from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus. This is verse 7 of chapter 21 in the book of Acts. We greeted the brethren and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. We entered the home of Philip, the proclaimer of good news. You may have evangelist, who was one of the seven, and we stayed with him. Seven. Seven? One of the seven? Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. So, one of the seven? Seven what? The evangelists? How many, uh, how many deacons did they choose? Well, I was born. I think it was... He was one Kansas. of those deacons. Yeah. Was there seven? Can somebody check? I think you're going to probably be in Acts chapter 5. Because I know in seven it was a little downhill for Stephen. Yeah. Let's see. Six. Next six. And it is seven. Is how many? Um. They says they. Uh, they chose Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. Mostly all Greek names. Right, right, because they were supposed to minister to the yeah, to the Greek-speaking Greek, Jews. Right, the Greek-speaking Jews, and the, specifically the widows, right. from those 
uh, Hellenist Jews, if you will, that uh, were being overlooked in the distribution of food. Which fits in well, because the other time we met Philip, is he's proclaiming the good news. He is. <laughs> the, the man on the that, road, right? Philip is, Philip is the, you know, the guy who got transported. Right? He's gone. He's the, he's the one that spoke to the, uh, to, the, uh, to the guy in the chariot and uh, dealing with the whole Isaiah thing and mm -hmm. the baptism. And here's water. What hinders me? When he came up out of the water, he's now, what, 20 miles down the road, which is really pretty cool. And yeah. actually that verse, and this is verse 40 of Acts chapter 8, Yes. Sir. but Philip found himself at Azotos, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Oh, and evidently got a house <laughs> and waited for Paul to show up. <laughs> Outstanding. This house for you. That's, that's great. So, um, apparently, this transportation, though, it happened a lot with, um, was it also Elijah? Because when they said, uh, asked to come see the king, you know. He said, well, how do we know when we return? We're not going to be transported by the Spirit somewhere else. Right. Nice. And apparently right. there's a common occurrence for him to be not where he said he was going to be. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You, uh, you asked the question, do we know any other evangelists like Philip? Um, I, I had to think, first off, Philip seems to be the type of person who does speak the gospel regularly, but he specifically does it where he's told, which I think is helpful. Yeah. Um, he's not necessarily the street corner type. Um, that we can tell, although he may be, but he does share openly and regularly. Um, well, I, I, you know, to the point of what you were reading earlier uh, from Acts 8, and he seems to be, this is what I do when I'm going through right. life, right? Well, what's interesting is that, so up until the stage, or we just read, he's a traveling man, a traveling evangelist, you might say. Um, As is Paul. But then he sets up shop in Caesarea and apparently never leaves. Right. He has four daughters who all prophesy, which, by the way, is the greatest form of evangelism, raising God's children. There it is. Um, and his home is hospitable, which is actually how Abraham gets famous for being really the first evangelist. Um, Judaism teaches that he shared God with visitors. Right. That was how he. That was why he was trying to bring people in from the road because he wanted to be both hospitable. But also, you want to tell them about the one true God. And his uh, hands were clean of the blood of all right. men. So, um, you asked if we knew anyone like that, and I, I, um, I, I couldn't help but think of you, only because you are the type of person who does, who does share your faith regularly and, and freely with, with, with just about anyone who's there. You are hospitable, and you had four daughters. I had four daughters. Wow, that's... Uh, who are no longer unmarried. That's amazing. I had not thought of myself in this... In this at all, but that is very kind. Of that's uh, that's good. That's good. Anybody else have anybody else that's really noteworthy? <laughs> anybody? Josh, would you come up? Nobody. Nobody. Did you think of me? No. Okay. That's a pretty it's, good match. Yeah. That's. I, I'm I'm flattered. That's. Uh, mm. Thank you. That's very kind of you. All right. So I think we're just about done here. We're going down to how far are we going? To uh, fifteen. So we're about to. Finish up here. I'll just go ahead and, and read it out. While we stayed there, that's in uh, Philip's house in Caesarea. We stayed there for a number of days. A prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us, took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet, which, by the way, I tried this week. That's tough. <laughs> yeah. 
and said, The Ruach HaKodesh says this, In this way shall the Jewish people in Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Youch. Who does that remind you of? Yeshua. The master himself. When we heard these things, by the way, I don't know if we, we didn't really go over this over the past couple of weeks, but um, I would encourage you, and I'll put it in the study guide for next week, I would encourage you to kind of go back and see where it, it says, he did this, and they went there, and they did this, and then Paul and this guy went over there. you got a whole lot of we stuff going on now. So the man who is writing this is actually traveling with Paul at this point. And the man who's writing this, of course, is Dr. Luke. When we heard these things, both we and the local people, the folks from Caesarea, urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. I think that's the third time he's been urged by believers not to go to Jerusalem. And Paul responded, what are you doing? Weeping, breaking my heart, for I am ready not only to be bound, but to die for the name of the Lord Yeshua. To your point, he, he's obviously gotten a mission, whether it started originally in Damascus and, and morphed, or he knew that from the get-go, or whatnot. I'm reminded of what the Master told him then, that you know, you're going to see how tough it can be. So... Um, since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, saying, only may the Lord's will be done, which is always a cool deal. It's kind of wimpy if you haven't said anything else, but it is, uh, it is pretty cool. It's also like sure. Exactly right. No, that, not my will, but yours. After these days, we packed and started going up to Jerusalem. Why are they going up to Jerusalem? They always go up to Jerusalem. Why? It's higher. It's not a trick question. It is higher. Yeah. Okay. Um, some of the disciples from Caesarea also went with us, bringing us to Nason of Cyprus, one of the early disciples by whom we might be hosted. And again, to your point, it's just the way. That's the way we do things, right? Well, again, they, they are going from Caesarea, traveling with them to take them to the next stop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The whole deal is there. It's, uh, it's good stuff. All right, um, so how would, how would you describe Nason? Hospitable. I mean, apparently he's famous for hosting people. Good. Famous. Known. He's a player. It's odd because I've never heard of him. Neither had I. From the early days. <laughs> but they... But they knew it, and and he was a player. He, and maybe all he did, was have a great bowl of stew for you, a little place where you could sleep, bed but the door was always open. Like a bed and bath. He'd leave the light on for you, you know. But that hospitality, that I mean, this guy is known, and evidently, like you said, he's been known for a while. This is good reputation. Yeah, bed and breakfast. Exactly right. Known for all. A good, from good the, reputation. Yeah, I mean the the one thing that they that that is said about him here, not implied about him, but explicitly said about him was an early convert. An early one. Yeah. Right. 
So he's he's been doing this a while. Mm -hmm. He's mm -hmm. he's been so around to see it. Yeah, a, a time some time for that reputation to be built up. Yep, which might point to Pentecost. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Explain. Yeah, elaborate, please. Since Peter came out at Pentecost. Let's use a different term. Yeah, the, uh, then coming out. Uh, walked preached. outside and preached to the crowd. Okay. <laughs> and there were many converts, 3,000 that day? That day, yeah. And then 4,000 a little bit later. So if he was an early disciple, he might have could have been one of the original. the Lord that day. Yeah. His, his name is not Hebrew. Mm -hmm. Although he could, there are a lot of Jews that took names from their locations. So he very well could be Jewish. But he's I, from he's, Cyprus. Yeah, sure, but right. I'm I'm trying to point out that he he's probably not Jewish. Could be. But it just yeah, you mentioned that that makes a lot of sense given that there were Jews from all over the world who right. were there for, right. for Shavuot. Right. Um, if that's the case, then that's almost like a I beg your pardon. Not that he wasn't Jewish, but he wasn't Hebrew. Oh, yeah, not a Hebrew so, speaker. So, yeah, yeah again, one of these Hellenistic okay. Jews, again. Living in Cyprus. Name, living in Cyprus, yeah, right? He's not in the land. Mm -hmm. so okay. Cyprus being the tiny little island just off, off the, coast the coast of Israel. Right. Um, what's really interesting is here is you really got almost like um, uh, there are a couple of really funny inside jokes in this passage. Well, let's hear them. I missed so the, the first miss, one that's really funny. Did you see the joke passages? Um, <laughs> the first one that's funny is... You're going to die? No, the first okay. one that's funny is Philip at Caesarea. Because, if I recall correctly, where Yeshua tells Peter, you know, who am I? You're the Messiah. Then shortly thereafter, he's like, I'm going to Jerusalem. And Peter says, no, you're not. Right. That whole conversation, I believe, takes place in the context of Caesarea Philippi. Which is actually a different part of the country. Yeah. But they're yeah, at North, Philip's house in Caesarea. But it's a parallel to a passage for Yeshua's life at Caesarea Philippi. Then, Paul is going up to Jerusalem at Shavuot for a life-changing experience. So it's possible he stays at the house on the way of one of the first converts from Shavuot from years back. Years back. It's almost like it's almost like Luke when he's writing this. It's almost like he's kind of chuckling yeah, to himself, yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, throwing his little little clues in along the way. So as you're reading it, if you if you had been one of the people then, yeah, you'd be like, up. oh, I know oh, that, that guy. That guy. Yeah, remember he was the one with the red shirt on that day. Right. Almost like, and again, almost like trying to draw this like link. Like you want to figure out why Paul considers it so important right, right. to be why, there. Why, why Shavuot? It's like it's because this was a holiday that was central to the believing community yeah. in Jerusalem. Absolutely. It established them, so to speak. And Paul, um, and it is, it's an interesting scenario that Paul gets his um, final test, his, his, his grandest audience, and, um, and the sort of biggest crowd, I suppose, um, at this holiday. It's almost, like, it's, it's almost like it's sort of like this one has really been co-opted by the way, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and anyway, so... I, it, like I said, I think that it almost feels like when, when you read when you read, when you go back and you read the book of Genesis that we're doing right now, you you have to really 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 pay attention to the details. Oh yeah, and the places. And the places. Right, so you got this guy's wells. Now his son's coming back. The wells get filled in. You got the same wells. We go to the same. And you're looking for the weird details, like why do they mention where this guy is from? Yeah. 
you know, those yeah. types of little oddities. So I like the good. idea that he's from Shavuot. That's nice. Great. That's nice. That's good. Yeah. All right. So a couple of uh, closing questions. Uh, we talked about these guys being devout. We talked about them consistently violating the counts that Paul's obviously gotten on his own. Um, why do you think Paul wants to go back to Jerusalem at this point so quickly? Why did you want to get there by the holiday? I was thinking because of the mitzvot to be there. It's a it's a uh, shosh shosh regularly one of shosh regularly shlosh 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 easy for you to say one of the three pilgrimage festivals good yeah um why why didn't he leave three weeks earlier and get there for Pesach that would have been a bigger deal um, I clearly believe he wants to be there for that festival but I think there might be some other reason why. Large audience. Large audience. Okay, um, could be, could be. He doesn't really seem to be. That I think that is the reason. I don't think. What is it? I don't think. Well, hang on. I don't think he, he normally looks for an audience. He ends up with an audience a lot of times, and sometimes it's not a friendly audience. But I don't know that he always looks for an audience. Yes. Sir. Oh, I would say that since he missed Pesach, maybe the Sanhedrin might have. Donald challenged him that he was going to about him missing Pesach, missing the mm. first trip. If you're outside the land, though, you get a buy. You know, if it's too too costly or there's not enough time to get there, you, you know, the, the tour is okay with that. And so is the same. That's a good point. Anybody else? I think the hair thing is is <laughs> is probably um, is the deal. Traditionally, you would make a vow, and there's only one in the scripture, um, and you would make it at a festival in the temple. Your hair would get cut off, and it would be burned and given to God, and you would start, and the length of your vow was consistent with the length of your hair. So, it he, is, he might have been pretty shaggy at this point. It was traditional to do it, for, I think there is a tradition to do it from Pesach to Shavuot. Right. So he would have said a vow to get it done yeah. by Shavuot. Right. So he's really hustling, which would also make it more understandable why he's so insistent on going back then, um, because he made a vow to God to end this this um, Nazarite vow right. at Shavuot. Um, and even traditionally now, a lot of us don't shave or we get haircuts right. during that period of time. I mean, it's just a, it's a regular traditional kind of thing, so... So it, doesn't, it fits. It fits better to understand why he was so insistent this time. Yeah, I think I think it's a combo. I think everybody's right. You know, I think that the idea that there's going to, you know, there's going to be some kind of an event. He he may have seen in a vision that he's got an audience. Um, we don't know, but either way, it's uh, it could be a combo of things that are happening here for him to come together. I mean, we're going to see in. You know, tomorrow's homework, just keep reading, guys, you know, take the next chapter. Um, what happens when he gets to Jerusalem is absolutely going to end his career. This, this is the defining moment in Paul's career coming right up here. Um, so we'll see. And sure enough, the vow has, has a whole lot to do with it. Okay. Any, uh, any other comments, questions, anything? I think 
Yeah, that last question was completely, uh, yeah, just a shot in the dark. Compare Paul's desire with your faith and desire to serve your master. Um, that's what I myself. I just, uh, I just was overwhelmed. So many people telling him not to go, and yet he was absolutely convinced he had to go. Um, he was, I wouldn't say, quote-unquote, looking forward to it, but he seemed to be a man on a mission. Heads down, I'm doing this. You know, convinced. And it's got to be tough when you've got prophets who are known, prophets who are players, that are uh, actually telling you, oh yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons Paul, uh, uh, Luke mentions that uh, the, uh, the four daughters are prophetesses. Is, you know, I'm sure they, they let him have it too. You know, if you go there, you're going to die kind of thing. Yes, sir. In, uh, right before Yeshua was arrested in the garden, yes. where he was praying to God about how his... Uh, his will. His will, yes. The and Father's will. And about the conflict inside him. I, I believe that Paul was also having that conflict inside him where he knew that he would be he would be getting into some serious physical trouble, but he knew that he had to do it. Yeah. So, I think that he's trying to follow in Yeshua's footsteps. Trying to. And, and he's even quoting him at times, you know. So it's, I can see that, for sure. And it would be a it would be a phys, it would be physically hard to be um, to do that because people are always against you. So um, most people in the world would be against you. So they would be treating you terribly. So I can see the the physical conflict going on there. You bet. It's just well, another way in which he emulated the master. Yeah. Just like he was encouraging uh, others. You know, I have a be like do like me. Yeah. Be like me. Because in all ways I seek to be like the master. Amen. And he actually so, wrote that yeah. in, in one of his letters. Uh -huh. You can you can follow me. Because I follow the master. No, no question about it. Yes? I think uh, that Agabus, his uh, prophecy is not exact. Um, that he says that the Jews will bind you this way and deliver you to the Gentiles. And it was almost that way, but the Gentiles, which we'll read later, came in and rescued him. <laughs> Um, and hauled him away. Um, and I think that my my opinion is that this shows that, you know, we're told to prophesy. And a lot of people, I think, are scared to prophesy because if it's not exact, then they are scared that that's, you know, like they, they don't want to make that mistake. Mm -hmm. And I think that when the Lord tells us things, we should not be scared to share those things so I think that this is an example of in my opinion is an example of how if it's not exact that doesn't mean you're a false prophet um, well it did come to pass he was yeah, turned just, over to the Gentiles yes no, just, no question just not exactly the way this was said well to a, to a certain extent yeah. maybe not to a certain extent chronologically but generically, you know, that did happen. Um, I'm reminded of, of 
one of the king's comments, I can't remember which, which guy he was in front of at the time, who said, if he had not appealed to Caesar, we, we would have let this guy go. There's, there's, there's no reason to hold him. But why were they holding him? Because he was brought up in charges by the Jews. So, And I think it's helpful at this point yeah. to throw out, because the Jews get thrown around a lot in this passage, but um, what's the really ominous line here? Deliver the Gentiles. I mean, that's kind of a, it's almost seen like a death sentence yeah. to be delivered to the Gentiles. And I think that um, we it's so oftentimes forgotten because um, a cadre of... of um, well-meaning Gentiles? No, no, no. I'll say a cadre of uh, badly-meaning Jews were behind the, uh, oh, you know, handing over Yeshua. It, well, but it was the Romans who killed him. And in this case, you know, but it was, Paul... But it was clearly the, the Jewish leaders. Right, but the, it was the, the corrupt Jews, leadership. Yeah. Sure, but the Jews, as, as a group, believed that he was the Messiah. Right. I mean, there, you yeah, go. There's a large group. A lot, of, lot of priests... Tens of thousands of Jews right. are coming to, you know, no question. Jews believe that it is the Messiah. The Jewish leadership, on the other hand, and to your point, even in this case, are the ones that are all upset. In fact, in, in, as we get into this passage, the upcoming passages, um, you'll even kind of get the hint, although it's not exactly the same way, that it sort of looks like, once again, the Pharisees are on the side of the, of the good guys yeah. here. And it's the Sadducees and the high priesthood that, again, is still the same corrupt leadership that's been working with Rome all this time. That's right. Um, that today's Orthodox Judaism, you know, look back on and kind of not speak very poorly. <laughs> like Hillel, not like Shammai. Well, yeah. uh, uh, Shammai was good compared to, like, a lot oh, of these, the yeah. Sadducees. Yeah, they were so, corrupt. Um, but again, uh, keep in mind that the Gentiles are the threat here, and I think that um, that reminds us that uh, even when there's infighting in the family, so to speak, um, it's so much worse to be in the hands of the outsiders. The outsiders, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. Good. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's close and uh, call it a night, and I'll, uh, I'll get you a study guide tomorrow. But uh, I'm excited about this next lesson or two. Um, I kind of get bored with the back end of Acts, but right here in uh, 21, 22, 23, uh, I just find it fascinating to see how things are worked out and, you know, even getting a little nephew to jump in there and, and help out with uh, maneuvering and so forth. So, you want to close us? Sure. Thank you. Emily Fathers, thank you so much for um, a chance to study your word. Thank you for um, the nuggets that you've stored in there for us to, to find. I um, pray that you continue to help us to uh, look for what you're trying to teach us in these passages, looking for your voice, uh, whether it's in the scriptures or through um, daily life or prophecy or whatever. And at the same time, also um, give us uh, passion and determination like Paul to not uh, shy away from opportunities to serve you, but to do to embrace them wholeheartedly. pray these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. All right, gentlemen. Good night. Thank you, uh, Greg and uh, Brock, for joining us. Appreciate it.